infinite rabbit holes and bring you wonderful factoids from our adventures in Wiki Wonderland. I'm Drew, and I've put 75 hours into Elden Ring. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> With me is... I'm, I'm Lindsay, and I almost always order a gin and tonic. Hey, me oh, too. Oh, Simon, <laughs> Simon would be your best friend. <laughs> um, and I'm Sarah, and I cut two kilograms of boob off this week. it's gone (laughs) this is the show where we jump down random internet rabbit holes we search the internet first by starting on the same wiki page every week well we every week we pick a wiki page that is the same among (laughs) all of us and we click using hyperlinks within the article away from that page until we find something that we absolutely cannot stop reading. Usually these are jaw-dropping, disgusting, or plainly hilarious things that we had no idea existed <laughs> in this universe. Today we start on... Jesus, I don't even remember where we started oh. anymore. Yeah, where do we start? Gachapon. Gachapon, that's the one. Yes. Thank is you, that a, Is it a mollusk? No, no, not at all. No, that's a. It's, it's, isn't it like a, a type of game? Yes. Oh, it so, is too. Like a vending machine game. Yes, it's a vending machine. Oh my god! First, we started on coquillage, which is just a really hideous thing made of seashells. But then we switched it to gachapon, which is a Japanese word for the um, sort of like gumball machine, sort of turny things you put in a few quarters and you get a prize. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> well, the, you know, the, looking back was the only way we would have figured out where we started because I'm sure that we ended up in really fucking weird places. I ended up this week on an individual named Pierre-Francois Lassenaire. Oh, wow. That's, very, a, that's a name. Very fancy very, sounding name. Very French. Yes. Very French. <laughs> mm, very French. Well, you... I ended up on a thing called light guns. Oh! Pew, pew! Pew, pew, pew. That sounds awesome. You think it's going to be cool, but it's not. <laughs> oh, no! <gasps> I can't wait. I can't wait to be underwhelmed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what about you, Sarah? I ended up on uh, a Stone Age artifact. Ooh, okay. Ooh. So continuing our theme from last week, Piltdown Man, but is this a real? Piltdown. This is a real. Well, yeah, we'll get to it, but yes. Okay. Real, okay. real Stone Age artifacts. Very interesting. Well, yeah. very interesting, yeah. Before we can get started with that, Sarah, what is our question of the week? The question is, if you could go back in time and tell your 10-year-old self any advice, what would it be? Uh, Lindsay, what advice would you give mini, mini Lindsay? I think just very simply, I would say, I love you. Oh, <laughs> That's really cute. That is so sweet. I, well, I mean, I think that, uh, I think the person I am now, little Lindsay, would think she was very cool. So I think it would mean a lot. Oh, that is so sweet. <laughs> that is very, very sweet. What about you, wow. Sarah? I would probably be like, maybe everything will be okay. Like, because I was very anxious as a kid. Um, but also like some real advice is like nap as much as you can. Like you're exhausted. <laughs> you're 26 now. You are so tired. 
and you would have benefited from some naps back in the day. <laughs> so Do you think they just the... pile up the naps? I think, <laughs> yeah, and I think now I'm trying to catch up on lost sleep from, from my lack old. of, yeah, exactly. So if I could just get <laughs> a few more naps in my life, that would be great. Cool. <laughs> what about you, Drew? So I was actually thinking about this a lot, and um, I think one, the first thing I would say is invest in Apple and invest in Bitcoin and oh, invest fuck in. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, that's that's horrible. Oh, I know, but we could have been millionaires. Like, exactly. Billionaires. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, tell a ten-year-old to invest in things. That's yes. that don't really work. They'd be like, "What is this?" Um, I'd probably say something along the lines of um, you're going to have your ups and downs and it's going to be tough sometimes, but you just have to, you're going to get through it. And at the end of the day, it's all going to be okay. So you get to, you know, just, just, just live, not live with it, but (laughs) like you're going to live through everything. Yeah. I love that. That's actually, um, I think, a very universal feeling because we had some listener submissions and um, one of our listeners, Sizzle Smacks, said, invest in <laughs> Apple so you're not looking for stable income when you're 27. <laughs> <laughs> but also very similar to the other half of your answer, another user named Brian Canoy said, it feels good now, but it's about to start getting real messy, which is maybe the opposite of what you said. <laughs> <laughs> um, while, I'm, while I'm at it uh, there were a few other ones I thought were pretty awesome so Ruthie K said no is a perfectly acceptable answer oh that's like, so good I thought that's that was so good. good very well chosen um, yes. Hunter Webb wrote keep those Pokemon cards <laughs> they are worth so much money now <laughs> oh wow and finally yeah, I used to collect Pokemon cards and I think I donated them all when I was when I was too cool as a teenager like well, you could have made could have made money now could have made money now finally Ryan Hames says being a professional wrestler is not the career choice for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my god, that's good. That's a good one. I like I that like that. One. Okay. What are light light guns? Drew? Light guns. Light guns. So um that <laughs> exactly that statement is what made me click on this because I was like, "What the heck is a light gun?" Um, <laughs> you know, when you when you see that, you got to click on it. So um, I had no idea what it was talking about, but when I clicked on the page, it became very clear. So let me just send you a picture real quick of exactly what a light gun is, Already because you might media. be familiar. Oh. Okay. Do you know what that is? No, I've never. No. I see that it says Nintendo. Oh, is this yes. what connects to games that you play in the arcade? A very, very, very similar. Okay. So this is a this is a light gun. This is the called the NES Zapper or the Nintendo Entertainment S- System Zapper, um, which is where my personal experience with light guns actually comes from. Um, there's also the light phaser from the Sega Master System, which people might be familiar with. Those are the two kind of home console things that um, typically had light guns. So this so, looks um, 
This looks old to me, Drew. How old would you say that these are? Oh, these are, these are, the, the Ness was, I don't know how old the Ness is. I think it's in the 80s. I might be wrong. I've, I'm failing my video game knowledge right now, but I think NES was 80s because um, that's the original Nintendo Entertainment System. That's like the first home console. Okay. It's, oh. it's that's like really like old. That's before 64. Where, oh, yeah. That's way before 64 because there was the wow. NES, the Super NES, and then, then the N64. So it's an old console. And so this is a my, sort of gun attachment. Yes. So. Okay. Um, it's actually um, basically what a light gun is. It's a pointing device for computers, but is more commonly known as being a control device for arcade games and video games. Oh. Um, and they typically come in the shape of a pistol, which I've sent here. Um, it's like a pistol shape, um, hence the gun part of a light gun. Mm. Yeah, so these, totally. I remember these yeah. in like <laughs> arcade games and things like that. Yeah, I'm yeah, always, that's, that's kind of big. using them. <laughs> <laughs> So these devices were actually super popular in early video games and early arcade games, uh, such as the classic Duck Hunt, which uh-huh. is what I spent countless hours playing. Really? Um, you know, <laughs> absolutely. I played Duck Hunt so much because, you know, you hand a little kid the thing that looks like a gun. He's going to have a great time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and you get to, you know, you get to blast ducks out of the sky. I mean, it's not... Now, now that I say it that way, it doesn't sound so great, but it, it was super fun. And the dog would <laughs> laugh at you if you didn't hit him. And it was just, it, duck hunt was a good time. Awesome. <laughs> they hate that dog. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've shown you what the Nest Zapper looks like. That's, that's where my sort of point of reference came from on, on a light gun. Um, so I'm guessing neither of you have played with these, but it's basically a controller that allowed you to point and shoot at the screen and the game would recognize the hit of the target um, mm-hmm. just from you pointing and clicking. Which I didn't it's, know. Uh, Sorry, I didn't know that these were available for home entertainment systems so early. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these, these were, yeah, in the 80s they were, they were available, but um, this super cool technology is actually very old. Not very old. Um, it's not like ancient, but, you know, very old for compared to what I expected it to be. Um, so let's get into the history of light guns because it actually dates back to the 1930s. What? Which, whoa. Whoa. I was like, whoa, 1930s? Um, that's ages that's, away. Yeah, right? Especially in like video game times. That's well, really, really old. There was no computers or anything like that. How, what? Yeah, exactly. Um, so with the development of light sensing vacuum tubes, oh. uh, so that's where these came from. These are vacuum tubes that are light sensing. Uh, these types of controllers became popular in arcade shooting games. So instead of actually having the player physically shoot something with like a mounted BB gun or something similar, now the players could get the feeling of shooting something without physically having to shoot anything. So it kind of cut down on costs and kind of cut down on danger a little bit because you didn't have these like BB guns that were, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that people were using to to shoot at like, you know, cardboard or whatever you put up. So now you actually had like a, a, a gun that you physically held, but it wasn't actually physically shooting anything. So I just thought that was really cool. So this is at, you're saying so, at like a, a carnival or something like that. People used to yeah, shoot BB guns and now they're shooting yeah. light guns? Yeah, now they're shooting light guns. Exactly. Um, oh, so this wild. became, this was specifically designed with the uh, Seaberg Ray of Light game in the 1936. 
Um, and so we're talking really, really old for these, you know, this type of thing. And, you know, these are, I guess it would be kind of more like a, a carnival game than, than an arcade game. But because um, I'm guessing arcades weren't really a thing back then. But right. Do they um, have any, do they have any pictures of the original game? Or was it just lost I actually, to time? I, I think it was lost to time, but I will see if there's any pictures actually. Um, that is so cool to think about, like 1930s arcade games being so advanced. Yeah, they must this have actually... thought they were living in the future. So here's a picture of it. Oh, I thanks. think this is, this is what it looks like. <gasps> wow. So it looks more like a home entertainment system than, than an arcade system. God, but, that is so um, cool. Let me paint for our listeners a little word, word picture here. So it's almost like super old-timey duck hunt. So you're looking at what could easily be a giant wooden home station radio. But instead of it being a radio, there is an image, like a painting, along the top of this big wooden box. And it looks like there is a duck. So there is a scene painted of like some kind of marshland and ducks flying in the distance. And it looks like there is a single track horizontally across the picture. And a duck can slide, I'm assuming, back and forth. I'm guessing it's a slide, yeah. Yeah. And so that one duck that can slide back and forth across the picture sometimes hiding behind a tree, sometimes hiding behind a little hill, is what you would shoot with what looks like what looks like a real rifle. It looks like a big old <laughs> shotgun, to be shotgun, honest. Shotgun, sorry. Yeah. Um, Imagine I, having that in your home. That's huge. Yeah, I think this is actually an arcade. I think this would be like more of an arcade thing than wow. anything else. So what's I fascinating... Yeah, sorry, Sarah. Oh, no, sorry. I was going to say, I love that... Um... Like it, all of the wood, it's like beautiful wood overlay and very mm-hmm. like art deco looking. It's so cool looking. Such like a juxtaposition with arcade games now. Yeah. And what, what I truly appreciate because of our show is that the numbers along the top there, there are numbers in a separate sort of panel that look like they can be illuminated from behind zero through 10. And I don't know if you guys remember the Whack-A-Mole episode. One of the facts yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, one of the facts I dropped on you was that Whack-A-Mole was the first time to use an LED scoring system in an arcade game. Oh wow! Wow! And so yeah, it took so from from this to Whack-A-Mole, you can see like the difference in the way that scoring was was kept. Yeah, absolutely. And it took like thirty. 30 to 40 years plus to, to make that progression. <laughs> this Absolutely. Is fascinating. Okay. Yeah, so that's the Seaberg Ray of Light game, um, which I'm sure we'll post pictures of on our uh, yes. oh, yeah, on for our Discord. Sure. That's not right. By the time you <laughs> on hear our, on our Twitter. By the time you hear this, it's already on the Twitter. So just go ahead and jump over to the Twitter to check that out if you want to see it right now. Exactly. So uh, these games evolved throughout the subsequent decades, culminating in Sega's uh, game Periscope, which happened to be the company's first successful game released in 1966. So let me show you what Periscope actually looks like. So Periscope looks like you're actually in a submarine. You've got a submarine Periscope, and um, you use that to 
I'm, I'm just kind of guessing because I've never played it. Uh, <laughs> you use that to turn um, the periscope and you shoot at different targets based off of that. Um, From so the periscope, this game you do the shooting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you'd be shooting through the periscope, basically. Uh, so this game requires that players uh, target cardboard ships and shoot them using the light gun. Um, <gasps> that is so, so cool. Yeah, wow. yeah, it's super cool. I mean, so, already, uh, per- Drew, already, I disagree with you that you were like, oh, it's not as cool as you think. This is cooler than I thought. <laughs> yeah, this is way cooler than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like a 70s invention. <laughs> No. <laughs> so, so Periscope was actually a very early electromechanical game that incorporated both electronic components, as you see with the screen, as well as mechanical components to produce a complete game. So the, the actual um, targets that you're aiming at would move mechanically, and then you'd have the electrical component being the, the light gun itself being able to shoot at the, uh, the different targets. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was one of the first electromechanical games. And it was the first arcade game to cost a quarter to play. So Ooh. that's uh, that's interesting. Well, were they more expensive beforehand? No, no, no. That they were cheaper beforehand. This is the first one to actually cost that much. So it's it's a uh, they're expensive game to play. Um, so then in 1969, Sega's game Missile featured the electronic sound and moving film strips to represent the targets on the projection screen. So that's a little bit different. So instead of using like mechanical components, it was actually using a projector. And then you'd, you'd shoot based off of that. And then in 1972, Sega released the game Killer Shark, which featured a mounted light gun that shot at targets whose movements and reactions were displayed using a back image projection onto a screen. And so, so the back that? image projection... Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I will get into that. Nope, I'm going to edit myself out. Yep, go right ahead. <laughs> so back, back image projection um, is used within the classic arcade cabinets. You know how you see those arcade screens? Yes. That look that look a little, they kind of look a little fuzzy almost. So the, if you think of a classic arcade screen, that's a back image projection. And oh, those okay. Are, so those are used to produce images on the screen which are like a super, super important technology to any arcade game. So that classic cabinet that you think of, that's a back projection screen or a back image projection screen. Okay. 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 And uh, interestingly, there was actually no article on this specific, specific type of projection or else I would have done a full report on it because I thought it was super neat, but yeah, that's I'm just surprised. back image projection. Yeah. I'm really surprised too. Huh. That's, uh, that's, that was very surprising to me. So anyway, uh, Nintendo released the beam gun in 1970 and the laser clay shooting system in 1973. And these were the two first home versions of light guns that um, allowed you to actually in your home play with light guns versus, you know, having to go to an arcade for it. Oh, and then, yeah, cool. it's, it's great. And then this was followed by the arcade game Wild Gunman. Uh, which again used video projection to display targets on the screen, and so they're they're kind of progressing in the future where instead of having these you know film strips or cardboard cutouts moving, you have actually like displays on screen, and that's that's how you know these light guns are evolving. And then in 1975, Sega released the early um, cooperative light gun shooter Balloon Gun and <gasps> Bullet Mark, uh, both of which were st- both of which had stationary light guns and projection screens that. Was- display targets for players to shoot so if you think about it a lot of arcades have those classic um not classic but 
have those those shooters that are cooperative and yeah. that's yes. that's like these are the first versions of them back in 1975 the the balloon gun and bullet mark were the first versions of those cooperative shooters which i found very very interesting and um now we move on to how light guns actually detect targets or when a target has been hit which is another super cool aspect of it that was gonna be my question so, yeah like what's the yeah. science of this thing yeah, exactly. That's that's what my main question was, how the hell does these work? Um, so this process is known as sequential targets, um, where this, det this detection method, which was used in the Nest Zapper, involves drawing each target sequentially in white light after the screen blacks out. What? So the computer knows that... <laughs> <laughs> so have you ever... Um, you know the refresh rate on a screen? Is that yeah. just like you how know fast it downloads? No, 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 no. That's how fast, that's how many frames per second are being shown to you. Okay, okay, good. This yeah, like break this waterfall. down. So basically what's happening is it's if um, when you had these lower frame rates uh, on classic CRT, do CRTs have frame rates? I'm guessing, I feel like they don't. But anyway, in, in um, what would happen is the, the, the screen would refresh uh -huh. um, and would flash black for, for a split second. And um, so you wouldn't be able to see it visually, but that's, that's the reason why dogs don't like old screens is because they would used to flash black and white very quickly. Their eye, Our eyes couldn't see it, but their eyes were strong enough that they oh, could see it, which is why wow. dogs didn't like that. That's a weird fact that I know. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, okay. So when the screen blacks out, what's happening is our eyes aren't seeing it, but the, like, the computer is able to see it and says, all right, so there's black screen and there's a white little target. And if oh. you have clicked the gun, the, the trigger on the gun and pointed it at the, and, and in the gun, you have the light detecting diode. Uh -huh. um, when it looks at that light on the screen, it says, did you pull the trigger and is it pointed, is like, is the diode detecting light? And if Wait. it is, then you've hit the target. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're telling me that what determines if you've hit the target is actually the gun, not yes, the, the gun screen. Is yeah, yeah. yeah, yes, 100% yeah, the thought. gun is determining. It's figuring out the bounce back. It's looking to see if it sees light. Yeah. It's literally, it's not even if it bounces back, I think. It's literally just to see. It's, like, if it sees is, light. If, yeah. Oh, wow. is it okay, so if pointed, it sees it. Is yeah. it pointed in the direction that that little white light is shown? Exactly. So the computer knows if the diode detects light as it's drawing the square. So basically, as the screen refreshes, if you're pointing at the if you're pointing the, the the gun at the target, then it's actually seeing the light and it's saying, all right, you've clicked the trigger. It's detecting light. You must have hit the target. Wow. Oh, my God. The game is in the gun. It's in the gun. <laughs> oh, my God. I That's never thought of that. fascinating that they had the technology to compute that in the 30s. Yeah. And creative. I, yeah, it really is creative. Like, and the... Oh so when it comes to actually telling which target was hit... Um, for n number of objects on the screen, basically the sequence of the, of the drawing of the target tells the computer which target was hit. So after a certain number of screen refreshes, what would happen is the, it would say, all right, this sequence of targets, like, like the first target was hit, the second target was hit, the third target was hit. 
I'm not explaining this well. Basically, um, <laughs> you're doing great. No, you're doing great. So one refresh was performed to determine if any target was hit, and then a second refresh was done to perform if to perform basically which target was hit. So it's saying yes or no, a target was hit, and then the second yeah. refresh was saying which target was hit in the sequence. Yeah. So that it can so start to count like points, right? Yeah. It can start to count points or it can it can figure out which which thing to display that you hit. So it's saying, oh, you hit this or you didn't hit that. So if you had like, you know, two things to shoot at, if, you know, in the sequence, it would say was number one hit or was number two hit and then would basically determine it from there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So a very funny side effect of this, um, if there's a poorly designed game, players could point light, basically point the light gun at a light bulb or other bright <laughs> light source and pull the trigger as many times as they wanted. And that would cause the system to falsely detect a, a, a hit on the screen. <laughs> That's so smart that they figured that out. Yeah, so you could just point at a light and, and start pulling the trigger and that would that would make hits happen. But when design, game designs got better, what they would actually do is... Um, They'd have a moment where the screen was completely ba- was completely black, and then that would verify that no targets were hit. And so, if you were just pulling the trigger at light, it would be saying, "Well, you're not actually hitting anything because there's nothing on the screen to hit." Uh-huh. And so that's kind of how uh-huh. they 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 did it in this this very these very quick refreshes that are happening, you know, split seconds. They're you know it's it's having it say oh well nothing's on the screen so you can't be hitting something so you haven't hit something right which is very interesting yeah yeah, yeah. called out exactly exactly you're called out um <laughs> and then an interesting offshoot of the light gun actually comes to us in the form of the Wii remote which i'm sure both oh. of you are familiar with i um, loved Wii so so much <laughs> so stupidly much it was such a good a gaming system it was it really was um so the wii remotes actually use infrared video cameras in the handheld controller rather than just a simple light sensor um but funny enough in a 2008 article in video game magazine it was stated that the wii remote was not as accurate as a traditional light gun so there are some back we went back back a little bit but um i think light guns just were more accurate because i think they had less less to do you know what i mean where it's just like it's just detecting light versus actually being a video camera that you're you know you're using to trace not trace an image but you're using to to work with the remote i don't know how it works (laughs) as you can tell i did i did light i did uh light guns not we remote controllers so um so another interesting way yeah (laughs) it's above my pay grade exactly um so another thing, um, another positioning method that they had that was later developed is rectangular positioning and image capture, which are both alternative ways to determine where the light gun is pointing. So rectangular positioning is similar to image capture, except that rectang- rectangular positioning disregards any on-screen details and only determines the rectangular outline of the game screen. So by determining the size and distortion of the rectangular outline of the screen, it is possible to calculate exactly where the light gun is pointing. So it's basically just using it, using the distortion of the screen based on where you're pointing the gun to say, all right, the gun's pointing here versus pointing there. So that's just one method of detecting light guns that doesn't use the sequential building of targets. Okay, so it just kind of like registers the image and it's like, 
oh, I'm seeing it at this angle. So that must mean. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's, it's saying it's, I'm seeing it at this angle. So that means you're pointing the gun this way. Gotcha. That's clever. Oh. Yeah, that is really intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> and then image capture, on the other hand, is literally capturing the image of the light screen or, or, or capturing the image of what the light gun sees or quote unquote sees in order to determine where the light gun is pointing. So it's a little bit more sophisticated because you're actually like taking an image versus just like taking a positioning or, or positional like measurement. So um, it's a little bit more complicated than than you know sequential targets or rectangular positioning but it's another way that light guns are used or light guns have uh positioning targets so um finally we have position guns uh which are common in arcade machines um so it's a non-optical alternative yeah Mm -hmm. okay sorry it's 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 a non-optical alternative to light guns um so with a position gun uh, a position gun is permanently mounted on a swivel on an arcade cabinet and acts as an analog joystick for aiming the crosshairs on screen. So I don't know if you've ever seen those big old yellow things. I, I'm not describing it well because I couldn't <laughs> figure out the name of the game. <laughs> but it was like this big old yellow visor that you used to put over your head. And it, it was like it was like a, almost like a VR headset, but it was way more simple in no. an arcade. I'm not. Oh, I'm, it, no. It, I wish I did. It, I'm, I couldn't figure out the name of the thing because that's just all my memory is. All my memory is is just like this big old yellow thing that you put over your eyes, and it was basically this. It, it had this huge mount and was mounted above your head. You'd pull it down, and then like you you'd physically move your body oh, around in a it's, circle. It's semicircular. It, yes. It's almost like a, it's almost like a periscope that just encompasses yes. your whole head. Yes. Yes, yes, that's exactly it. Yes, have you I remember, seen one of those? No, I remember these because I was never tall enough to use them. <laughs> because when I was oh a God. kid, because How have I not it, seen these? They're in. It's weird. They're in a stand, and you have to go underneath the game to play. Like there's like a little overhang. Yes. These these mechanisms that are basically yeah, do, these giant yellow semicircles hang down, and then you kind of walk over them. And I think that they did have handles on the side. Yeah, they had two handles because that's where the triggers were, and you'd uh-huh. like turn it and sp- so that's that's a position gun. So okay, 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 that makes sense. So, some of our viewers are going, "Oh my god, yeah!" and a lot of them are going, "What the fuck what are the they fuck? talking about?" I'm with the "what the fuck" group. <laughs> <laughs> I I just opened my third eye and then I understood, so it's okay. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god, <laughs> third eyes, third eyes open right now. Yeah, um, I I intuited what Drew was saying. <laughs> so don't worry i'll so this that method, <laughs> <laughs> so this method method is typically more expensive initially but it's much easier to maintain and repair compared to light guns because light guns you'd have to replace the entire thing versus you know having to replace individual parts so it's much easier to maintain yeah so position guns include games like silent scope was that was that the name of it silent scope i don't remember <laughs> anyway the, so you said uh, it just, so confidently and then backtracked so quickly. <laughs> I, I don't know. I really don't know. Anyway, so the arcade version of Resident Evil Survivor 2, Space Gun and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Uh-huh. Those are those are the uh the the position guns. Yeah, those were too scary. Two was too scary. <laughs> those were scary games. I did not like those, especially the Terminator ones. Those were loud. Yeah. Those were scary. And- uh-oh. Yeah, 
Absolutely they were. They had complex yeah. plots that I did not understand. <laughs> yeah, you had, you had the little you had the little toe thing that you had to touch to look over cover. It's it's that's a long story. <laughs> I remember those games really well. <laughs> that's great. I love that though. And I'm sure that you're not the only one with really fond memories of these kind of games. Yeah. So the funny part is the home ports of these games tended to use light guns instead as they were more affordable to home audiences. So, you know, the light gun itself was was generally designed to um to be for home audiences. So, yeah, that's that's what really pulled me into uh into light guns cuz you know, my aunt had had the the Nintendo Entertainment System and the NES Zapper and we'd we'd all uh we'd all play that during Christmas, for some reason, that was our Aww. like tradition to play Duck Hunt during Aww. Christmas. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it was just super fun. And I clicked on it originally being like, what the heck is this? Found out what it was, was like, this is really cool. And, you know, it was just it was just a great time. So that's like the the wild west of of uh, light guns. <laughs> that is so awesome, Drew. That is really cool. It's very different to what I thought it was going to be when you said light guns. I thought we were going to start talking about like theoretical lightsabers and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be some kind of mind control weapon. Oh, that like would be super cool. <laughs> you like, flash it in yes. someone's eyes. Like, yeah. <laughs> I love video game history. I love learning like you know, I, I also love 30s history. I think that that is so cool that there were, you know, essentially ar- like complex arcade games in the 1930s. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It it really hit me. I was like, wow, that's completely wild that these, you know, these games exist all the way back then. Just, you know, just regular arcade games. That's just, it was so cool to me. And I love, <sighs> I love when you pick topics that are personal to you because it's like... <laughs> You always have this like personal connection that's like, oh, I have experienced this in my life and I, you know, didn't understand it or took it for granted. Like, I want to expand on that. I think that's awesome. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> See, like the your, way... video game, your video game addiction is helping the show. It's helping the show, exactly. <laughs> I'm just teasing. We love you, Drew. So, my this little ditty... That I'm gonna drop well, on did it? is the oh. life, the life and times of Pierre Francois Lassenaire. I probably didn't pronounce it right. I, you know, the amount of times I talk about French shit on this show, like I should just learn how to pronounce French words. <laughs> like, Duolingo should should sponsor you to learn French. <laughs> <laughs> Go fund me so Lindsay can buy Duolingo Premium. Duolingo yes. Premium. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's also very it's very interesting because I think that my perception of like being into French stuff feels very like hipster or very like you know posh in ways that I don't see myself. Like I know th- I know this is like a gross stereotype of like you know an entire culture, but. <laughs> you know, when people say like oh i'm really into french film or i'm really into like french books it's like yeah okay wow yeah, yeah. But, like the, the number of times that i talk about french stuff on this podcast like we've only had i think this is like our what 20 21st episode and i'm like yeah here it is again talking about french again <laughs> <laughs> like, i'm learning about myself but 
I I somewhat I'm I'm sorry, Drew, but I somewhat dedicate this topic to Sarah. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I know you'll still like it, but I dedicate this one to you, Sarah. Pierre Francois Lassenaire, vagabond poet, serial killer. <gasps> I love learning about serial killers. I think they're fascinating. Yes. Bad people, but fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, so I will come out front and say I'm not exactly sure why everybody calls him a serial killer. Because when I think serial killer, I think somebody who kills people the same way every time. Like they have some kind of signature, Mm. whatever. And it's normally a compulsion. Yeah, no, he he just kills people, I think, with whatever's closest. So just willy nilly. Yeah. I guess that could be his MO. (laughs) Yeah, maybe his MO is just... It's just disorganized. (laughs) He does not fit the description that I had in mind of a serial killer. But then again, I clearly don't fit my own description of myself. So (laughs) 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 Uh, let's let's get into it. So yeah, this guy, uh, I'm just going to call him Pierre. Like we're all good friends. Uh, Yeah, Pierre. Yeah. I mentioned to you guys off off camera, uh, this guy's life is so packed with just stuff and events that his wiki article had to break it down by the month. So this man died at age 32. Wow. Uh, he was guillotined. You couldn't break my life down by the month. I know. <laughs> <laughs> From the years 2022 to 2026, she just sat on her ass. <laughs> she suffered through graduate school (laughs) and regretted her decision (laughs) the years prior you could find her in a library scrolling through her phone not doing her work or drunk at the university bar (laughs) (laughs) so um to avoid uh sort of just because inevitably when you have that much information it just turns into a list and you lose yes. sight of the story so i'm gonna kind of give some highlights but i will say yeah. that this is a rich history that i am forced to gloss over okay. wow so he died at age 32 but what i immediately thought was so interesting was that he was born in the year 12 and not not the way that we think of the year 12. He was actually born in the year 1803. Quick little trivia. Okay. <laughs> yeah, do you guys know why perhaps on his birth certificate it would say year 12? He was French and born in what we would call 1803. Oh, is it like the rule of um King Louis? You're close. Well, you're close. So Right about the time that the United States was having their revolution, so 1776-ish, the French were having their revolution. And the French Revolution was such a class war overhaul that they were like, fuck imperialism to the point or fuck the government so much to the point that we reject the calendar and the calendar starts <laughs> over with our revolt. I love that. <laughs> I wish they kept it. 
Well, that was, I think things like came all the way back around and, and everybody who had started the revolt be, fell to the hands of the revolt. Like it really went all the way full circle, really turned on the people who the French Revolution is actually a very fascinating piece of history. But um, he was born in year 12 as per the French Revolution. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, right off the bat, his parents... Not not big fans of the kid. Didn't <laughs> oh, didn't what? Why his biggest fan? Didn't his... think he was a little legend. No, he was not the firstborn son. I think. Uh, oh, disappointing. His... Yeah, already like son, you were late. You were late. You were not the first one. And I don't know how many children survived into like adulthood, but it did say that his mom had thirteen children. Oh, this was around the times, I think when I was talking about my topic of um, the rabbit birthing lady, where a lot of time children wouldn't make it past infancy or very right, young right. childhood. Right. So yeah. I don't, I don't want to say, oh, he was one of 13 kids. I think he was, uh, he'd, you know, I'll one just of say 13 he, births. Yeah. He had a lot of siblings, I'm sure. <laughs> I yeah. just don't know how many. Uh, but, you know, among all of these kids, among all the craziness, not being the firstborn son, not a lot of life prospects off the bat. But at around age 10, he starts to show a real proficiency in literature. He wins some kind of like school awards. But between the ages of about 10 to 16, I would say nearly every single year he was kicked out of a different school for one reason or another. Wow. <laughs> So, what a little rebel. Just to quickly go through some of the ways he got kicked out or expelled. When I'm he so was around 12 will. or 13, <laughs> he said something that favored Protestants. And Oh, damn. Uh, <laughs> somebody told his dad and his dad was like, we're taking you out of that school. <laughs> you're out of that school. <laughs> so you're done. You're cut off. Seminary. Then somewhere along the way, like the school closes <sighs> and then he gets sent to a boarding school. And then at age 15, he gets expelled because he participated in a schoolboy revolt. And I just love, I love to think of these children born during the French Revolution. They're like, we're 15, we're adults, we're going to have our own revolution, and then get kicked out of school for, you know. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, and then when he was 16, he was in another school uh, and accused one of the priests of being a pedophile and got kicked out. I can't believe he got, oh. did they investigate it? I Maybe the priest was a pedophile. I, I mean, track record. Exactly. Exactly. I did not investigate. Um, I just know that for that reason, he was kicked out. May or may not have been correct. Uh, Holy shit. That's something. So he's basically every single year just bouncing around from school to school. And eventually he ends up hanging out with his aunt. Uh, he's around age 21 at this point. And he's like, you know, what? I've always been good at writing. Like, I'm going to give writing a shot. Um, and I don't have many other prospects because I keep jumping around. So he writes some kind of a vaudeville play uh, that does pretty well. And then he writes articles that he like submits articles, I think, to like newspapers and journals and stuff. And he does not receive payment for them. But the articles appear in publication. What? So they stole okay. his work. Basically, yes. And Evil. I, I think that if not getting bounced around the school's. I think maybe that is kind of his villain origin story where he, especially in the article, they say this is this leads to his disillusionment. He's like, oh, fuck, life isn't fair. Mm -hmm. 
So he does what any young boy does who's like young and full of angst and no job prospects and he signs himself up for whatever war is happening. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go fight out all of my angst and anger. Yeah. So he's 23 years old at this point Poor says, kid. fuck this, I'm going to join the Swiss army. Uses a fake name because I guess you can just do that in the, in the 1800s. <laughs> um, he's a quartermaster in the army for like less than a year and deserts <laughs> he deserts the army oh he went AWOL yeah so you super cannot do that no people yeah. do not love when you do that um, that is gonna come back oh shite you gonna get punished so let's talk about the 24th year of his life he comes back. So he was fighting in the Swiss army, comes back to Paris because, you know, he's in France. And then he's like, Meh, maybe I'll also live in England. Meh, maybe I'll also live in Scotland. I'm going to sell alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> so he's okay, selling, living all over Europe, selling alcohol. And he goes to his brother and he's like, I need, I need money. I'm strapped for cash. And as you can imagine... Given this guy's profile already age 24, his brother's like, fuck off. Like, <laughs> you don't stay in like, school. No. no, like, you don't stay committed to anything. I'm absolutely fucking not going to give you money. So, good on him. What, do you, what does he do in a situation like this? He starts Steals forging. <laughs> no. <laughs> he starts forging checks with the family name. Oh. <laughs> oh, so he's not even stealing from others. He's stealing from his family. Yeah, yeah. This guy, oh, no more. No, but they kind of rejected him first. I'll say that. But I mean, that's true. Uh, yeah, but was his family rich? I think that they did have a good chunk of money. I saw that. Okay, he, like so, he's getting sent off to school. There's a lot of kids, and I know that the old. Actually, I think it was. I don't know if it was a son that was older or younger than him, but an another one of his brothers, they hired like a tutor to live at home and teach him, which I think was also okay. kind of expensive. Um, so I had money. I think that they did. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, spoil spoiler alert, but not really. Uh, by the end of this man's escapades, they are in serious debt. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. He starts forging, uh, you know, family checks and everything like that. And so his family, he's using the family name. And so, like, you know, the people come after the family being like, hey, you, you like, you have to give me this money. And, you know, yeah. they're just like, you know, shaking their fist at him. So to cool off a bit, <laughs> uh, Pierre escapes to Geneva and then to Italy. Like, you know, just does a little tour of the country. As you do. A little tour, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Little gap here in between, in between crimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's like, you know, I probably made some people mad back in France. I guess my liquor business yeah. wasn't doing so well. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to cool off in Geneva and then, then a little bit to Italy. So, uh, Geneva is in Switzerland, right? And uh, as he is in Switzerland, a person, I, I didn't, 
if there was a name, I didn't write the name down, but somebody, maybe he's bragging or something like that. Somebody's hip to his shenanigans, right? They, mm-hmm. they learn like all of the shit that he's up to. Um, and I think, you know, probably a, a, the extensive and, and gossipy, juicy bits of this man's history and his crimes. So this, this guy narks on him, you know, tells the authorities that this guy has done some crimes. Like, you, you should <laughs> arrest this man for already a list of reasons. And so Pierre says to his new friend, he's like, hey, hey, I got to tell you something. Come, come here. And, and just keep saying, come here, come here. And like lures him out of town. Don't, don't come there. Don't do it. And kills him. <laughs> he's going to die. I knew it. I knew yeah. it. He kills the man who knew his secrets. Oh, how did he kill him? Did it say? I'm sure it did, and I didn't read it. How did he kill him? Probably with, like, something random that he picked up. Probably no rhyme or method. Let's see. Lures him out of town to a secluded... Aha! Lures him out of town to a secluded place, challenges him to a duel, and kills him. Ooh, a good old duel challenge. Yeah. Still murder. Hey, we're friends. <laughs> we're friends. <laughs> but I'm going to challenge you to a duel. challenge you to a duel. I feel like it mu- I Like, I want to imagine that this man was in so much denial about his crimes that he was like, how dare you? How dare you assault my character? I challenge yeah. you to a duel. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then he's like, all right, I'm going to go back to Geneva. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. So this is, like I said, he's about 24, 25. In the same fucking year of his life, he goes back to France and uh, a friend comes up to him and says, you owe me 600 francs. And not only, <laughs> not only do I really need this money, but this money, if I do not produce it, will be enough that I have to join the military. I have to go to war. Oh. If you don't repay me the money you owe me, I'm stuck in the army. Let me guess. He did not repay him. Well, I want to believe Pierre felt bad for the guy. <laughs> I don't actually know if he did. Maybe this guy <laughs> was just a huge pain in the ass and Pierre was like, fine, whatever. So Pierre goes to his dad and he's like, pay the man, give the man 600 francs. And his dad is wow. like, what the fuck? Like, this was your fault. Get your shit together, Pierre. <laughs> yeah. My God. You're not the firstborn. <laughs> I don't even <laughs> like you. <laughs> Stop taking my money. <laughs> so he's, like, he's like, Dad, please. Money, please. Um, and money, please. His dad, <laughs> his dad says, you know, I will pay your friend this money. But in return, you have to go to the army. That's oh. the trade. Which, good on his dad, kind of. Like, you know, have some consequence for some yeah. actions. Also, this guy, like, killed a man already. I'm like, I don't know. You already killed a man. Yeah. Daddy <laughs> probably didn't know about that to, to bail him out of his predicament. That's very true. So uh, he's like, all right, all right. I'll save my friend. I'll follow my proverbial sword. And he joins the uh, army again uh and in less than a year decides still not for him and deserts the army again <laughs> again i knew that was uh, gonna happen bloody yeah. useless. <laughs> like right
right. Like, like, there's nothing that's going to happen the second time around where he's like, yeah, actually, this discipline is yeah, good for good. me. <laughs> <laughs> this works. He's going to get to a point where he's going to try to join the army again and they're going to be like, actually, we don't want you. <laughs> Well, I guess thank like, you for your interest, but no. But like also at this time, you can just like fuck off with a fake name as many times as you want. Like you're only limited by your creativity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how freeing must it have felt to be able to just, I mean, not that I ever would, but like you could just run away and create a whole new life for yourself. I know. that Pretty I, easily back in the day. I fantasize about that all the time. Yeah, me too. Mm. I'd love to run away to like a tropical island somewhere and become just like a dog rescuer. Ooh, that's a good. I usually fantasize about like being a, a like a really disillusioned like bored waitress behind a counter at like a rest stop on a dirt road that has like the same three truck drivers <laughs> coming in every day. <laughs> anyway, I love um. I love my life. I, I, lo- I love my job. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's uh, going really well. Um, <laughs> woo! <laughs> Drew, do you dream of being a waitress? I dream of many things. Um, none of them are appropriate, so <laughs> let's just move on. Okay, cool. So, what does he do? We're, we left off age 25. I said he dies at 32. We've still got like seven more years to pack in information. So, Comes back to, okay, so right, deserts the army. That's where we left off. Comes back to France, yes. 26 years old, really mature. Uh, except the only problem is his family, probably because of him, his family's bankrupt at this point. At this point, mm-hmm. we are finally bankrupt. So he's like, all right, I'm back in France. My family can't take care of me. I'm fucking homeless. I don't have a job. Something that makes sense would be just to uh, do a stint in prison <laughs> so that I have a place to live. <laughs> oh, I know, this is, I know this is funny, but, like, it's sad that I was watching, I was, or maybe I was listening to something about how sometimes in the U.S. people really do not have a place to live, food, shelter. It is a better life if they can get to prison for a little bit because they get free shelter, free food, free education. Yes, that better is medical true. care than than you'll get outside. It is that is very true. That absolutely does happen. I can, yeah, I can, I can totally understand why. Why not? Except I, so I'll agree with you that I feel bad for those cases. This guy, this guy's a dick. <laughs> he made a a lot of bad decisions. Yeah, and I feel like you know the army isn't that good, but like he he literally like walked away from. <laughs> like a job, a job. Yeah. he doesn't feel like he's trying to uh, get a nine to five yeah right he's not really trying to better himself Mm-mm. he's you know yeah dropping dropping a lot so he also <laughs> killed someone so there's that too <laughs> well so yeah oh sorry we forgot about that bad man here i'll remind you because the way that he decides to get to prison is- <laughs> <laughs> oh no he steals a convertible which I think at the time must have been a type of wagon. Um, I'm pretty sure he crashes it. Like a, a horse and cart convertible. I don't know. So here's, here's um, a, a really bad confession. Uh, 
I, the wiki article in English was very short, but if I went to French wiki and, and Google translated the page, I got like this really rich story. So yeah. Unfortunately, the word convertible was not a hyperlink, and I did try researching what convertible means in the early 1800s, and I actually do not know. I could not find any answers. So I think it is a carriage. It makes sense. Yeah. Well, anyway, (laughs) he steals a carriage, and I believe... uh, I don't know if he crashes it, but he at least steals like some kind of vehicle. And then like this is all like in some kind of town square where there's like a um, like government buildings and stuff. Then it challenges some politician's son to a duel and kills him. Oh, (laughs) and I love this. He's arrested. Because of the theft. Not because of the murder. No. What? Well, the duel. priorities so, were know, messed up. I think, yeah, I, I think the rules are different for a duel. So now he lands Crazy. in jail. <clears throat> He's sentenced for one year for stealing this convertible. <laughs> <laughs> but while he's in jail, um, some of the places that I looked to do some research call this the uh, College of Crime while he's in jail. Ooh. Yeah, so he starts to learn kind of the slang of of the criminals. He can like talk talk the talk now, and he kind of becomes a gang leader. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so oh, classic, it's, classic. It's this year abroad in jail. Not really abroad because he's still in France. It's this, I'm just trying to be cute. It's this year in jail where he starts to make friends that also become important later so i will remind you who these people are but he becomes friends with this man named avril another one named baton and another one or i don't know if they become friends but they meet another person named chardon okay mm-hmm. chardon. chardon i love it so uh he meet, he makes these friends in prison and he starts to kind of learn the language and attitude of being a criminal um despite his sort of upper class up upbringing okay mm-hmm. and uh he comes out of jail now he's about 27 years old we're getting close to our age <laughs> like now he's like okay one of <laughs> our peers he leaves jail and um he is brought before the commanding general to answer for the fact that he deserted the army <laughs> <laughs> i don't do it oh it bit him in the ass okay i love this though like stealing a car one year in prison Deserting the army, 24 hours to a month. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. All right. So he does his time. He gets his slap on the wrist, whatever. And it's kind of around this time he kind of picks up writing again. But along with writing, also picks up stealing. <laughs> so he's a, he's a little thieving writer. Uh, he decides to start kind of traveling, traveling around Europe, traveling around France, writing and casually blackmailing people. <laughs> um, and I kind of find this hilarious. It's kind of throughout this year uh, that he and uh, Baton, one of his friends he made in prison. So he's like a writer and he's like not really very successful as a writer. 
And so then he's like, okay, well, I also know crimes really well. And so then he and Baton are like, let's just steal from people. Like, let's just rob people. Let's like catch them in the alley, hold them at like knife point, whatever, and steal their money. They do this probably like three times. And every time like the person does not have money. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. What a disaster. So they're not very good. He's not very good at writing or at stealing. At okay, this point. so he's he's not so, good at uh, many right, things. Right, right, right. So he's he's not good at stealing. He's not good at writing, and he steals silverware from a restaurant, and that puts him fifteen months in prison. <laughs> like again, like deserting the <laughs> army is one wow. thing. Yeah. <laughs> one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, like okay he, the the crimes aren't going well. The writing isn't going well. So his friend. Avril from from the prison is like you know what let's ramp it up like clearly this isn't working we just need to go like balls to the wall about this remember that guy Chadron Chadron from Chardron 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 that guy yeah, yeah. that guy yeah the name from, I liked from, yeah from prison let's go just fucking kill him in his house and steal everything <gasps> <laughs> escalation much. So he and Avril go to Chardron's house and Chardron lives with his mother and murder both of them. Um, (gasps) They used some kind of like some kind of like cobbler's pick and then just like a fucking axe. And then they like suffocate the mom. It's like this horrible, gruesome murder that becomes very important. This is basically his downfall. This this particular murder. Not the other murders. I guess the other murders were fine because they were duels. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. So um, they're kind of on a bender at this point. He's about 31 years old. And like I said, dies at 32. We don't have much time left before the real consequences. So. Mm, get cutting it close. Yeah. Yeah. They do some more crimes together. Um, Avril... I kind of thought this was pretty interesting. He gets arrested not for any of the the botch stealing and not for the murdering, but actually gets arrested because he was trying to defend a prostitute from getting arrested. Oh, that's actually kind of noble. Yeah, right. Like I was like, wait a minute, let's turn that's that surprising. <laughs> I thought he would have he would have just ran away. No, no, exactly. Like I, you know, these guys could have just like crossed on each other, um, and then. Baton, who was one of their friends, introduces them to a friend, Francois. And I bring this up because Francois joins their little crime soiree. Soiree. They're Mm -hmm. just, you know. So Francois and Avril um, and Baton are all like hanging out. And uh, they're like, you know, Francois's like, I've got this bitch relative over here. Let's go steal from them. So they try to rob this relative. The crimes just keep ramping up. Basically, the point I'm getting at is they just try robbing everyone. They fucking steal a clock from a watchmaker. I don't know why that made it into the wiki article. <laughs> They're just crimes <laughs> stealing and everywhere. Why? Why do you need a clock? If you're, if you're, you know, they have their own business of robbing people. They make their own hours. Why do you need a clock? So at some point, the real climax happens where unfortunately the Google translate makes this very hard for me to understand what the crime was, but I get the impression that possibly Pierre tried to steal some noble's identity. I think. 
Oh, okay. Um, Ooh, okay. The, it's it's weirdly translated. Um, they it's like, uh, they say he was preparing a swindle with a draft in the name of the Drevon House in Dijon. So, oh, that I, yeah, I agree with your interpretation. Yeah, like that sounds okay. Mm. Yeah. Because I, I, swindle is kind of vague, and I, with a draft, <laughs> I don't know if it means army draft or some kind of document. You, you no, know. it's probably a document. Okay. It could have been like a money draft. Oh, I didn't think of that at all. Like a fake uh, check. Okay, okay. So that's probably, okay, I think all of us together have figured this out. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, go us. <laughs> So, um, yeah, he basically tries to use this noble family for like a, you know, a money scam and uses a fake name um, like along with it. And he not only gets caught for this, but um, he gets imprisoned, actually. And it's here in prison that he kind of is forced to confess to those gruesome murders because his accomplices, who I mentioned before, Francois and Avril, uh, I think Baton as well. They they rat him out. They're like, okay, we oh. did this, but we did this with this guy. And they're like, the one with the different name? No. <laughs> the one with the different name? <laughs> so um, basically it's at this point where he is imprisoned for this kind of forgery that the murder consequences all kind of fall on him. And as if this wasn't, incredibly interesting enough so here we are in his 32nd year he's about to die the trial is actually why he becomes the most famous so while he is um basically like in trial it's pretty much a done deal this guy is like guilty as fuck and gonna die he churns out his writing that actually becomes very famous in fact during his lifetime so okay wow um, Francois, Avril, and he are basically judged um, before the public. And what's interesting is that the physical appearance of Avril and Francois are, they, according to the article, are built like brutes. So they look <laughs> big and mean. Pierre is this tiny little bourgeois thing. Mm-hmm. So because of the, help me with the pronunciation, physiognomic... Phys- uh, yeah, I'd say physiognomic. That's physi- fine. Okay, people had an idea back then of what criminals should look like, and he didn't <laughs> oh. fit. fit it. <laughs> so already there was public sympathy. Like this little guy couldn't be evil. Oh, <laughs> how wrong they were! It's the little men you got to look out for. <laughs> <laughs> Love a short king, but also, but also, <laughs> yes. Um, so he turns the whole fucking thing into like a theatric, like theater salon. There's tons of women there. He's hamming it up and he's like, he's like, I kill a man. Like I drink a glass of wine. Just really. Okay. (laughs) Tone down your dramatics a little bit. And then he kind of, this reminds me of like every anime trope that he like, they bring up his crimes and he admits them, but with like a heavy dose of cynicism and offhandedness. Like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> yeah, I did that. that yeah, cool. I guess I did. <laughs> yes. Um, 
And, you know, so he's like really playing up the theatrics and he's like, honestly, like my friends ratted me out. So, yeah, I did these crimes, but like they deserve to die for being shitty friends. Like you should kill all of us. <laughs> like he's just like not. Like, he's Whoa. working the room like as if he just really isn't even a part. And I love this. His lawyer tries to plead insanity <laughs> and it doesn't work. <laughs> His lawyer's like, he's clearly off his hat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, this guy's having too much fun. <laughs> so, um, yeah, finally we end oh up. He gosh. gets sentenced to death. He's guillotined. But his memoirs and poems uh, are what really get picked up. And he begins this, or he is the start or inspiration for a trope that's called the dandy assassin. Um, so Ooh. I will give some examples of that, but there is a quote that I'm not sure if he actually said, but during his execution, this is also translated from French. Um, I arrive at death by a bad road. I climb there by a staircase. Oh, it's fucking metal. metal. <laughs> that does sound so metal. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he inspires this sort of uh, trope in uh literature and some of the people who he inspired were Stendhal and Balzac uh, but also mm -hmm. Victor Hugo brings him up in Les Mis uh, who else did Charles Baudelaire my truly favorite poet of all time called him one of the heroes of modern life <laughs> also because Baudelaire, Baudelaire inspired Poe Baudelaire was very very dark so uh, that tracks Dostoevsky <laughs> read the trial, and the trial is what inspired him to write Crime and Punishment, in which the crimes that are committed are nearly an exact copy of Pierre's. Wow. That's yeah. iconic. Yeah, truly. Yes, truly iconic. And probably mm -hmm. uh, bonus material, because I'm not sure if it got cut out. I went on a long rant about how awesome Michael Foucault was he's a philosopher from the 70s michael Foucault also uh talks a little bit about pierre in some of his writings but yeah wow. that that is the uh legend of the bourgeois romantic criminal that is so cool <laughs> i love it that is so cool yeah that was i didn't think i could be into true crime but that yeah, was incredible it. that's an incredible story I know it's so weird. good. Like I read this story and I was like, I really want someone to make a movie out of this. And then I get to the bottom and it's like crime and punishment. And I'm like, I'm oh, not going to read that. <laughs> it's too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, super, super cool. I love this weirdo. Well, not yeah. the crimes part. Not, not the crimes. Not the, not the murders and the crimes, but the, the cool bits. The cool bits. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Um, thank you for all of your enthusiasm for all of this. <laughs> oh, we loved it. This was awesome. It's great. <laughs> the first sentence, or sorry, the second sentence on Wiki is like, he became known as the poet assassin. <laughs> and I was the like, poet yeah. assassin. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> you got it. That's so cool. That is a very cool nickname. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like this, this is like if, if our podcast had a child. <laughs> the poet assassin. <laughs> yeah, poet assassin. Oh my god. Okay. So 
my topic is so different to both of your topics. I really don't know how I ended up here. I went on a wild tangent. Um, but today I'm going to talk about some of the oldest human-made things that we've ever found around the world. Ooh. And before I break down these Stone Age pieces, I wanted you both to have a guess at what you think they are. The So the oldest mm. handmade pieces. Yeah. Oldest hand slash human-made pieces around the world. I'm going to guess a hammer. Okay. Okay. Hmm. I would say some kind of weapon. Oh, okay. I guess a hammer could also be a weapon. <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking more construction hammer, but I guess it could be. <laughs> okay, so we're going with things that you could hit something with. Yeah. Okay. Um, it might surprise you, but they're actually little figurines, and they're called oh. Venus figurines. Okay. Oh, wow. okay. Have you ever? Yeah. Have you ever heard of these before? I believe no. I have. Oh, okay. I'm excited. <laughs> you might know a little, a little bit what I'm about to dive into, but I think the audience will find it fascinating because there's lots of visuals to go to go with these. Not only that, um, but so, um, I've certainly never taken a deep dive. So it would be interesting. Okay. Okay. Okay, Awesome. So these uh, things called Venus figurines, and they're actually any late Stone Age figurine or little statuette portraying a woman or a feminine figure. So most of these have been unearthed uh, from around modern modern day Europe. However, some have been found as far away as caves in Siberia. Oh. And yeah. Uh, so the majority of these sweet little figurines um, are found to date back to the uh, Gavatian period. I, I probably said that wrong, but around 26,000 to 30,000 years ago, which is just stupidly old, don't you reckon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so wait, did these all look the same? No, no, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. But it's basically just any figure of a feminine person. Um, yeah, dating back about between 25 and 30,000 years ago. Okay. Um, but there have been a couple which have been found that are thought to possibly date back as far as 200,000 years ago. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So if they – there's a little bit of controversy with those ones, but if they, if they are true from that time, that would mean that they were most likely made from either very, very – early homo sapiens or other types of humans that were living uh in continental europe i didn't even Um, think of that like who is making these yeah Yeah, right we're pretty sure most of the most of the the ones that are about 25 30 years ago are from homo sapiens because we would have been the dominant um, species around that time but the ones that are thought to be a couple hundred thousand years old really it could be a couple of different other humans but there, there's a bit of controversy so we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later on okay um so first let's break down what uh, they tend to look like because first of all i find it so interesting and honestly a little bit self-assuring uh for my body image so i'm gonna send you an example of one of these and i would like you to both try to describe it to the audience <laughs> can you describe the bosomy figurine that you see in front of you <laughs> it's, a real, it's, a, 
That's a heckin' chonker right there. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lady. That is a lady. That's a woman. That's a Um, big titty goth girlfriend. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She would be a big titty goth girlfriend. Would she be goth, though? (laughs) Maybe gothic. That's that's a terrible joke. (laughs) Um... But how do I describe this? Um, it's uh, I don't I don't know. My my brain is just thinking of bad things instead of thinking oh, no. of anything good. I bet that they're not bad no. things. I bet that they're just things that maybe you think are not polite. But uh, yes, I, that's not bad. Like objectively, <laughs> what you're looking no, at just, is not just, bad. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't mean the the what I'm looking at is bad. I'm just my brain is bad. Oh, your brain is not bad. It's a bad um, thing. So, how would you describe? Would you say it's clearly a woman or a very feminine? figure? Yes, it's a very feminine figure that has. Um, I would say it doesn't fit modern beauty standards, mm-hmm. and I would say that it's it's more on the heavier side, but mm-hmm. that's. But it's like I don't know. I'm. It, it's like beautiful in its own right. That's I good. guess yeah. that's that's the way I would describe it. I love that. It's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> very, very uniquely feminine. Um. Very large tatas. Yeah. Carved in this little figurine. They oh are God. from boobies. Um. And yeah, it's a more voluptuous, more very healthy looking person voluptuous um, is a so, great word she's yeah, that's very, very, i couldn't voluptuous. think of that word yeah that's voluptuous is perfect yeah and i think what drew said with the it wouldn't meet today's beauty standards i think this is going to be fascinating when we talk about what we think they were used for okay um, so to oh. summarize most of the figurines are very clearly depicting feminine qualities um so and all of these are associated with with humans as well so we're the only mammals unfortunately in the world that have constant tartars um we have uh, i forget what they're called i think they're called everlasting breasts oh my um, we're God. the only mammal <laughs> yep yeah we are the only mammal in the world that uh goes through puberty and has breasticles um that that stay through life most other mammals um the the female mammal will have babies and then their breasts will grow for milk and then they will shrink away um a bit like if you think of like doggies when when you see a mama dog and she has her boobies but then they go away um wow. unlike unlike us we have been cursed by evolution to constantly have boobs that sucks um yeah so it's definitely a, a feminine human a humanoid figure so they used to be yes. like umbrellas oh my god um we also find that the widest part of the body is the hips so kind of that more hourglass or more voluptuous type shaping Mm -hmm. they often have their reproductive organs exaggerated which we definitely see in this first photo that i've shared with with you guys here And what is interesting is that they often don't have pronounced limbs or um, very detailed heads. Yeah, so this... And I'll touch them. So sorry, just for for people who aren't looking at the image right now, and again, these will 
these are on the Twitter. All, all be online. Yeah. So yeah. if you go to Go Ask Alice Pod, you will see exactly what we're looking at. Uh, but I was going to say that, yeah, she does not seem to have any arms. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be like yeah. a woven basket around her head, something like that. Yeah, like her head is not very detailed. It could be representing curly hair, possibly, but it's kind of all around her head. Uh-huh. So it's, it's. I'll get to what they think the, the headpiece could have been used for. It's rather than depicting a head, it could have been um, used for like tying string around so you could wear it as an amulet. And that's what we might be seeing here. Okay. Um, but yeah, no arms and even the legs, like they're there, but they're not really finished. It's really just all about the torso. Yeah. And I will, a little bit later on, I'll explain why. There's a theory why they think this this could be, uh, but it also could just be an artistic decision. Who knows? Um, mm. So depending on the particular figurine, some appear to be very clearly pregnant and others uh, are clear to not be pregnant at all. So there's not like a, a common theme of pregnancy throughout them, but there is a common theme of femininity throughout them. Cool. So I've shown uh, an example to you both, and I wanted to ask how many of these Stone Age, these 25 to 30,000 year old figurines, do you reckon we've found around the world? Wait, sorry, you mean three, 300,000? These are these are about most of them are about twenty five to thirty thousand years old, and there's two that are possibly two hundred thousand years oh, old. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, you're right, but they might be distributed. Um. Okay. Sorry. Hmm. Uh. How many do we think exist? Uh. Yeah, that we've found just in random caves and and things like that around Europe. I'll go with a nice round one hundred. Okay, hitting high. <laughs> What about you, Drew? Oh, I was I was gonna go even higher than that, but hitting high really? makes me think. Yeah, I was thinking there's tons of them, but uh, I guess I'm gonna cut Lindsay's in half and go fifty. Okay. Wow. Okay. You we we think differently. I was like, man, there must only be like maybe five or so of these. There's twenty five. Okay. Plus that we've found, which <laughs> I thought was w- way, way more than I expected. It's honestly found. like third, it 30,000 year old little figurines. Yeah, first of all, right. First of all, something to have survived fucking 30,000 years. Yeah, like, good work. That's amazing. But then also, you were saying that this is kind of all over the world. So, you know, again. Most of Europe. Yeah, Europe and Asia. That's a big part of the, part of the world. <laughs> a big part of the world, yeah. Most of the world, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is that is actually really amazing that so many different places so long ago and so many survived today. That's That's got to mean that there were way, way, way more way back then. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so again, I would have been impressed if there was like two or five of these things, but despite there being a lot, you know, considerably there's about 25, um, which I think is a ridiculous number. They're actually said to be understudied as a whole, uh, and they often fall victim to very quick generalized stereotypes, um, within the field of study, which is a shame. Um, Does that mean that people look at this and they go fertility next? Pretty much, yeah. Mm. Mm. Exactly, yeah. So do you want to hear about the theories on, like, what exactly they were and why they were used? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so 
I think Lindsay nailed it with fertility next. Um, so there, there was quite a bit of hint of this in some of the theories. So what uh, first intrigued many scholars who were studying these figures is the voluptuous shapes of the figurines. Um, back in the time when these would have been carved, the average human being would have been very lean and probably very muscular mm. um, because these are the times of hunter-gathering. Food was not always a certainty. Um, that You had to travel long long distances and change where you were living depending on the seasons and so it would have been more common or not to be um underweight or not not at a healthy or uh you know even with more weight than than the healthy standard so it would have been very rare rare to have overweight or obese humans during this time because there's the food scarcity Oh my god! So it's all it's like always what is considered beautiful is like what is not common. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So the this picture of a woman, of so a very healthy looking woman, someone who has been able to eat and not been, um, you know, not have been starved for months because they couldn't find supply of food. This idea of health was that you were you were fed. You could survive a famine if if one hit you were you know you were good to go you had a bit of meat on your bones um which i think is so so cool because now it's kind of the opposite now we live in a world where food is at the ready and it's so easy to uh probably over consume what is probably needed for our bodies i know i'm so guilty of that um and meeting the very skinny very underweight model is very very difficult as a society and also genetically as well genetics come into play with the fact that for thousands of years our ancestors have either been in famine or in excess food supply and that can kind of mess with the way that our genes want to process and store fats Mm -hmm. um but yeah so now we have like this which i think is changing for the better but you know the very like twiggy like um beauty standards and this was the complete opposite thousands of years ago it was you you wanted to be healthy healthy weight you wanted to be able to last not having food for a while wow yeah that is very interesting because i like i remember even way back when i read the scarlet letter even Mm. um there are like I can't remember exactly what it is, but I remember the conversation was around this was that there are uh, beauty standards of like back then when that book was written, that the beauty standards were like pale skin and like, you know, a little bit extra weight and like, you know, dark raven hair. And now it's like tan, blonde hair, like supermodel, like, you know, it's just weird. (laughs) (laughs) And so this is just really cool to see another example of, uh, possibly if this interpretation is correct uh really cool to see how that beauty standard was different yet again but also still like hold on have i ever thought of like pre-homo sapien sapien beauty standards whoa like, imagine like neanderthal yeah more erectus beauty standards <laughs> it's just probably being alive was beautiful <laughs> <laughs> well i think also just you know there is something super profound about the fact that um, art, like art and beauty, the concepts of art and beauty existed so long ago. Because like, yeah. I mean, take, for example, you asked what we thought was going to be the first thing made and Drew and I were both like, okay, like tools and weapons. And like the answer yeah. was art. Like that's kind of amazing. I think it is too. I think it's really interesting that humans have 
like we want to express ourselves through things and through things like that we keep and that are meaningful to us yeah um which is quite unique as a species some other some other animals definitely do it like there's you know otters and penguins that have rocks or shells that are their favorites and you know (laughs) things like that and birds (laughs) that have you know favorite shiny things but I think it's, you know, it's quite interesting that we're like, I like it. I want it. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So getting back to the the fact that they were voluptuous looking figures, um, it's theorized that the figurines weren't particular portraits of real women of the time, but rather were probably instead a religious or a spiritual icon. Hmm. Okay. yeah, so this might be supported by the fact uh, that these are often very small and it could hint at them being held in the hands of humans during rituals or other ceremonies. Um, and as for the shape of the figurines, having large breasts, ample hips, um, protruding stomachs, uh, all associated with the idea or this common idea of fertile and pregnant women. Um, so being able to birth a healthy, live offspring. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it it is possible that these female figurines served as uh, a facility symbol. So one theory is that, um, which ties in ties in with the previous theory, is thought that maybe people who were giving birth would hold them or would wear them as amulets to try protect the person during pregnancy and childbirth. Oh, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, so that's one theory. Um, so that's a theory why some of them don't really have heads or they look like. The, the head might have been like a loop, so maybe it was an amulet that they could wrap leather and things around it yeah. to hold it. Okay, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Some Venuses were um, also once anointed and painted with traces of red ochre, um, and it looks like others were decorated with symbols that also may be associated with lunar cycles. Um, so both of these aspects, both the red ochre and the lunar cycles, um, suggest a possible connection to menstruation and fertility. I was going to say that. Because that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's very likely that they were probably a fertility symbol of some type. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've touched on why they, they don't have heads, because they might have been worn as amulets. Um, but there's a theory that they don't have heads or pronounced limbs, that because the person who was carving them was trying to model it off what they could see looking down. So, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> yeah, you can think of it as back in the time, they didn't have mirrors, so they would have rarely seen their reflection. Um, and they were just like, okay, let's, I can see my body, let's, you know, this will be my, my, starting, my starting piece is what I can see looking down. But you can kind of see your arms. Which I think... Yeah, you can see your arms and definitely you can see your legs. Um, but maybe you can't see your face. Is is some is oh. why some people are, are suggesting that they don't have faces. Have faces, yeah. That would make sense, yeah. And it would also explain yeah. the exaggerated hips. Yeah, because if you're looking down, like you get a very it's a different view of what your body looks like compared to someone looking at you from eye height. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I um I don't know if men do this often, but like women certainly, well, I'm speaking for all women right now, but like if I look down, (laughs) um, I definitely have one idea of how my hips present themselves. And if I look in the mirror, sometimes I'm shocked that it is not the same. Like I looking down. Me too. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And before I had my breast reduction, I would look down and all I could see was boobies. Oh, so like that's all I could see. (laughs) 
Um, so when I came home from the hospital last week, Simon was laughing because I was getting changed and I looked down and went, I can see my stomach. Oh my God. I was like, (laughs) I haven't seen that in a long time. Like apart from in a mirror, but like looking down at it, it was just all breast. Wow. So you can kind of see maybe that's where some of these, uh, the inspiration was coming for these figurines. That's amazing. Especially, I'm going to show you a figurine up next, which I'm like, yeah, that's how I would have carved my body if I was looking down. Okay. <laughs> so um, well, it should be noted, though, that some anthropologists disagree with this theory because they say that they could have seen the reflections in puddles and in lakes. Right. Um, but honestly, I don't know how often you would see, unless you really were going to puddles very often to get water, um, yeah, you wouldn't see your reflection too often. So now I want to dive a little bit deeper into just a couple specific figurines because I think they're really cool. So I'm going to send you a photo. We're going to dive into the Venus of Holfels. And this is her. So, whoa. Okay, hang on. Buster lady. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Where is this one from? (laughs) So this one is from around Germany. Um, in modern day Germany, and it is the oldest undisputed example of uh, a dis- uh, a depiction of a human being, which is just amazing. So it's the oldest example of art depicting a human being. Wow. Okay. So I'll I'll go ahead and describe this. <laughs> yes, please. This is. I'm actually not sure what those things on the side are. If they're arms, but it basically looks. I think they're arm. Okay. 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 So then if I, if I do it like that, there is no head at all. And it's just these two huge boobs like pointing out, (laughs) um, just really (laughs) jetting out. And then these arms that look like they kind of come down and almost cup underneath them. Like they're holding up the boobs and like shooting from them. And then, (laughs) then there's just like, you know, uh, sort of like a stomach area not a lot going on and then a very prominently um detailed nether region very detailed <laughs> labia like you cannot look at that and not say yep that is a vagina that's actually what i made eye contact with first that's why <laughs> yes, I- <laughs> me too. the third eye was looking at us Wow. And then, you know, barely any sticks for legs because no one's really looking at the legs. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Drew, you were really close to your microphone when you did that. Wow. Wow. That's a lady. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Drew. Or um, or we all envy Drew. Am I right? <laughs> I don't think you do. <laughs> uh, so um, this lovely little figurine is made from mammoth ivory, which I thought oh, was just whoa. so freaking cool. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fucking woolly so mammoth. So freaking cool. Woolly mammoth ivory. Uh, it was unearthed in a cave in Germany and is dated between 40,000 and 35,000 years ago. So very, very old. 
Wow. So wow. it is, uh, so when it was unearthed in the same cave, just under a meter away, they also found a flute made from vultures' bones. Oh my, a suit? A flute. Oh, flute. a flute. <laughs> flute. <laughs> <laughs> a suit? <laughs> but still, holy shit, like art and music? That's what's in the caves? Yeah, art and music. So it could have been left over from maybe this was a birthing cave or, you know, some type of uh, like a safe haven for expectant mothers. Wow. Um, which I thought was just amazing. Special birthing cave. Holy shit. And then you got little flute background music to calm you down during childbirth. Oh, that would be lovely. Oh, man. So we're going to move on from her and we're going to move to the Venus of Delani Vestonsky. Okay. Um, okay. I've just sent you both a picture of her. Her boobs are not as perky as the previous lady. Poor love. Uh, gravity has taken a toll <laughs> on, on this sweet lady here. <laughs> very saggy. Um, very <laughs> saggy. Uh, so this is dated to around 29,000 to 25 thousand uh years ago no bce sorry bce so about 30 to thirty-two thousand years ago about thirty thousand years ago um it was found in the base of devon mountain in the czech republic okay and what is so amazing about this figurine is that this one and a few others from nearby locations are the oldest known examples of ceramic articles in the world Wow. Hmm. Yeah. So they were using ceramics and it was the type of ceramics that could be cured at pretty low temperatures. I think I remember reading it was about 700 degrees yeah, Celsius. So not super hot. That, so hmm. to make the process of making ceramics, you do need to use like a special oven, right? Yes, you do. Okay. You need to have a special oven that can build the heat and pressure really, really high. So that's pretty remarkable that this is so old and that they had this sort of complex process to be curing the material. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so still amazing. her boobs are really saggy. I know, the poor girl. They should have. Maybe, this, so this figurine, this is me speculating as well i'm not an anthropologist um but maybe the saggy boobs represent like you know after you breastfeed your boobs do get a little bit saggy for a little bit of time oh so it's like oh successful baby having look look (laughs) what the baby having happened (laughs) yeah something like that like yeah (laughs) the baby has been sucking Oh my god! <laughs> I want to. I want to go. I want to go through an art museum with you guys and have you both just make the subtitles of like. <laughs> Baby's I, been sucking. <laughs> I love art museums and just museums in general, and I would love if we did like a walk around episode, just recording us looking at different things. <laughs> oh my god! I would yes. be absolutely cackling the whole time. Oh, it'd be so good. So good. <laughs> okay, you're going to cackle at the final one I have to show you. Okay. So, and not for the reasons you think. It's not going to be booby jerks. Um, so, the final one I'm going to show you is, uh, if it is true, is the oldest, oldest example of anything human-made. 
uh, in the world, if if it is true, is disputed. So this so is this is the two hundred thousand year old one. This one <gasps> is between five hundred thousand and three hundred thousand years old, and it's called the Venus of Tang Tang. Wow. So <laughs> so if it if it's true. If it's true, it would be just the oldest thing and probably not made by hum- uh, by Homo sapiens, probably made by a different type of human. Holy um, crap. Yes. So this was found um, in uh, Morocco. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, we have to describe at- it. Oh, yes. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. Please describe it. Please describe it. <laughs> this. Drew, do you want to describe it? There's no boobs. It's just it's just, a, just a green little There's man. There's no boobies. It's just it's just a green little man. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, it's little rock. It's a little rock man with little hands. Are those hands? I guess those are hands. That's a good I, question. But it's just but I, it's just like it's got no face again, but it's just like a it's it's almost like a potato that you carved into <laughs> what looks like to be a human, but that's so cool that it's so old. It really it does, does look a little bit like a potato. Literally, that's the first thought that came to mind. I'm like, that's a potato. That's a potato. Like a potato. <laughs> it's a potato that someone <laughs> carved into the shape of a human. Oh but it's God. like, it's, it, I guess, because you know how your brain does that thing where it sees faces and, and sees like humans and, and things? I guess that's kind of a thing. But this is like, it's so clearly a human to me that it's just like, it's just blowing my mind that this kind of potato figure is just like, that's a human. Like my brain was just like, yeah, that's a human. Yep. <laughs> it, it, it looks very much like a human, but I might blow your mind with why it is disputed. Okay. Go on. It, told it, it does look like a human. It's so cute. Um, okay, so... If if it is real, it is the the oldest, earliest representation of a human form ever. Um, however, so this was unearthed uh, last century, and I think there was reports and and articles around it in the eighties and nineties, um, analyzing it and suggesting that it is this old. However, to date, none of the findings have been able to be re-examined or carbon dated properly. So there's been some um, speculation. Why? If- if it is confirmed i don't know like i don't know why why they wouldn't just let it be carbon dated wait so like did um, they lose it radio dated <laughs> so exactly like what i was thinking <laughs> did they lose it i hope not i don't i don't even know where it is at the moment but so a professor um Stanley Ambrose from the University of Illinois uh, has expressed the opinion um, that based on the original finder's uh, work and without studying the object directly because they couldn't get their hands on it, um, that the rock shape could have been a result from just natural weathering over the past few hundred thousand years. So it just, (laughs) I naturally look like this. (laughs) Yeah, it's just I naturally look like a little person. And know. it could be our willingness to want to see, um, like, human form or human yeah. shapes in things. But I don't know. I reckon it is, like, yes, it looks a little bit like a potato, but it clearly looks like there are some legs, arms, and a head. Um, and it's also in the original work published, um, which, again, nobody has been able to confirm with the, the sample itself. Um, apparently there are traces of materials that would not be naturally appearing 
on the object without some type of human intervention. Mm. So I don't know whether that is some type of paint or some type of coating, whatever it might be. Right, right. Um, so I, I think I'm on team, like, Optimus. I reckon it could be the oldest little human depiction we've ever seen. Yeah, like, there's just, I mean, I could understand one or two of these things being naturally formed, but there's just too many of them. Like, like there's, like, you know, a distinct head, distinct arms, distinct legs, distinct crotch. Like, there's just too many places. It's the distinct crotch for me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I agree, though. It seems too much to be an accident. Yeah, and so the and the picture I sent you is just a replica of it. Um, so I'm guessing it's like a molding or a cast of it. Um, but yeah, I don't know what I don't know where it is. Like I can't nowhere in the wiki could I find where it is or where it lives or why we don't have the real thing on display. Where is she now? Um, like if yeah, if a museum houses it, it sounds um, like it's been lost. <laughs> Sounds like someone dropped uh, it and they couldn't find dropped it. Dropped like, it and couldn't pile. find it in a pit of rocks. <laughs> yeah, it's outside the museum, like in the, <laughs> in the rocks, just <laughs> the landscaping. It's just lost in there. Oh, so good. And, and just to summarize, just to, just for another giggle, this is um, the the disputed second oldest one, <gasps> which I think looks more like a potato than the first one. That is, that is not a person. That's a potato. No, that's a potato. That's a potato. I don't know. We'll yeah, we'll let so the viewers decide. You you guys exactly. You look at the real oldest one and you tell me which one you think is a potato. <laughs> potato or pass. So if, if you want to see all of these, you can go to our Twitter or our Instagram because you definitely have to look at them. They're pretty awesome. Wait, I'm still laughing at Drew's potato or pass. <laughs> <laughs> Mash or pass. <laughs> so good. But yes, what Sarah said. Absolutely check out Twitter and Instagram if you would like to um, feast your eyes upon some voluptuous ladies of ancient times. <laughs> As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for hanging out with us. You're already here. Might as well hang out with us more on Twitter or on Instagram or on TikTok. You already know how to find it. You're sick of me saying it. But we've started to build a little community and it is just an absolute delight to get to talk to everybody. and. Um, Fill some of that loneliness from the pandemic, just talking about some interesting facts and the questions of the week. Uh, we want to thank JPEG Media for our awesome new cover art. It is phenomenal. So, yeah, so good. It's Hopefully, so good. We love it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here with us. And we will see you next week. See you next Bye-bye. week. Love you. Bye bye. Love, love you all. Oh, fuck me. I'm still finergant. <laughs>